Hello, welcome to the last of our chats at Rezd series. In this one, I talk to Hannah Flynn from Fail Better, pretty much about Sunless Skies, but more in a broad-ranging sense about uh, life in independent game dev, about the industry, about how games relate to all sorts of different issues, musicals, Zoolander 2, and so on. Uh, hopefully you find it interesting. I certainly did. Enjoy. Hello, I'm here with Hannah from Fail Better. Hello, Hannah. Hello. I always feel very strange introducing when we've just been having a conversation. <laughs> I've been here for the last five minutes with. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, so we've just sort of arbitrarily chosen a point to start recording a conversation <laughs> with you. Um, you're here with Sunless Guys. Yes. How, well, I would guess it is a sort of soft open, like, how is that? How's the show gone? But also, like, how are things? How's the game? How's everything? Good and good and good, I think. Um, I'm in a funny position because I've just been on maternity leave. I'm coming back mm-hmm. to work. Um, and when I went on maternity leave last April, we just finished the Kickstarter. And now I'm back and we've just released the second region into Summer Skies. Um, and it's like added a third axis to the graph of the game. Like it's, mm. It brings the game so much closer towards the final experience. And we're starting to see the things that I really, really enjoy, like people writing reviews of the game where the first paragraph is like, my captain was lost and alone. They've done like, new games, Jen. Sort of, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, the lovely soft intro with a very characterful feel. Um, but people are starting to respond to it in the way that they did to Summer Sea, right. which is exactly where we want to be. We're a few months off launch in September. So I feel like progress. we're progressing in the right direction. And the show's been great, but I just haven't, personally stood up for more than like three hours in the last year because with a baby you crawl around on the floor a lot and you spend a lot of time sitting so like my feet have turned to just like sausages of pain yeah, is that um i to get back to the game and say but like has how have you i guess found that process of coming back to work because games industry not necessarily known for its you know it's weird progressive policies towards like for yeah. example is supporting paternity or maternity leave yeah fell better are you know um, we try and be proactive in as many kind of uh, socially responsible things as we can yeah. as we can afford to and that we are able to so for maternity leave we did renegotiate our terms of maternity leave while I was heavily pregnant at the boardroom table I think right. which may have influenced it in yeah, some direction some, some, or another um, <laughs> pertinent to you yeah it was relevant at the time and they tried to have a discussion without me there and then they said they felt like Trump's cabinet so they invited me back in Um, (laughs) uh, it's good it's weird we're doing shared parental leave so I was off work full time for six months and for the last six I've been working two days a week um, one at home one in the office it's very specific information for you but but, it's it's what is what is very weird about it is post parenting you understand the value of a minute like that you'd never believed. If you if you come into the office and you've got seven hours at your desk, I get more done on a Tuesday than I used to get done in a week. Nothing happens on a Tuesday. I don't believe like, that for a I do all my work on a Tuesday, then I'm like, peace to you all in a week for a baked potato. Um, we, we typically eat baked potatoes on Tuesdays. It's, okay. You know, real yeah, ritualistic. This is, these are, this is the inside the studio vibe yeah, I wanted to get. This like, is what game what development is, the, is really like. The arcane fuel that powers fail better. in Southwark <laughs> on a Tuesday. If you want to meet fail better games, we're all in there eating tuna, tuna potato. Tuna potato. Is that that's my potato? that's my pick. Yeah. Is, um, it, is there a, uh, and I appreciate that we're getting off 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 topic, but <laughs> yeah. is there a diversity of potato? Yes, most people taste? like chili and cheese. Oh, most people like chili and yeah, cheese. Yeah, because so you are the what outlier. they do is they crack it open and they fill this potato in a way unmatched by physical science in any other restaurant. I've only seen that kind of thing in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, they go Scots on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. It's been nice. It's been nice coming back to work slowly. 
um, not being straight back in at five days a week, but it's also, and I, I didn't want to be out for a whole year because I just, I work, I like work too much. And uh, I felt differently about it over the year. And coming back at six months was really hard because you were still very like physically hormonally attached to the baby at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, likewise, we have paternity leave that's um, uh, better than statutory provision. We, mm. we give uh, like eight weeks pay instead of two. So we, we try and do something for both sides of it because it's unrealistic. Two weeks paternity leave is unrealistic. It's, it's, yeah. it's not fair on the father and it's not nice for the, for the gestational partner, the father. Or, as I say, I have a wife, so I'm the gestational mother, mm. we say, um, terms. Uh, but it's not nice for the other parent and it's not good for their well-being it's not good for the baby's well-being so um, and it's nice now that a couple of us have kids we've got another production baby due in August so um, yeah the, the family is growing it's nice I would really hope that the this is like a decade long trend now so not like the hottest new developments but having more companies particularly in the UK like Fail Better so mid-sized independent yeah. studios I would really hope that that translated to a better quality of life for people who work at them like a move away from development farms and crunch towards yeah yeah we would never mandate crunch i think there's there's a there's a definition of terms around crunch that really interests me because there are studios that mandate that you work until it's done and there's a three-line whip and everybody's in every day late and it's it's indefinite and that is like the toxic nasty crunch but the, at the other end is people who work with me who are so committed and so excited and passionate that they will work overtime off their own backs and tire themselves out in the same way, um, but not in a way that we would ever want them to do. But you almost don't want to slap someone's wrists for doing their job as best they possibly want to. So there's a really interesting spectrum there of what crunch is. We definitely don't like, mandate it and ask people to do it, but we're, we're, we're working so hard on Sunday Skies at the moment that even I'm like, I do extra hours when I'm not in the office and it, you, you find yourself doing it yeah. that's the problem with the industry yeah. is that we're funded on we're founded on passion in that way and uh, youngsters think that it's how it's done and they come in thinking I have to do all this extra work I always have to have a side project I always have to be working mm. and then burnout is still real whether the, in the company mandates crunch or not I suppose the test is what happens when you have a period of calm and whether people still feel pressure to be the last person in the office etc right. yeah. and the weird thing is the games industry has a name for this and this happens in all industries and every other industry just doesn't talk about it in the way that we do yeah like, I used to work in publishing and everybody all those loud people this, like I keep saying in these little mini <laughs> pods this is a loud floor yeah nice loud place to be the press room it's the quietest place at rest but it's also <laughs> Still, one of the loudest rooms I've ever been in yeah dad they could have it's um, a tuned floor it's a nightingale floor they've done it it's like a level design thing yeah indeed this is like a very challenging stealth level <laughs> yeah. and no one here is good at it yeah, like well, you were saying I've already lost anyway yeah. um, <laughs> In other industries, I would be at, you know, in previous work, I'd, I'd be at work until nine, I'd get in before eight. There was never any discussion of it being unhealthy. It was totally expected and accepted. The senior people did it, except the people who had to leave because they had you know, children. Mm. But it was almost like, if you don't have kids, you should be here all the time. And yes. this, was, this is not... That's it a, doesn't have a, a name. Anywhere else it doesn't have a name. So... It's happening all over the place. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's you know, but it, maybe to bring it back, it, it is one of those things that is hopefully, maybe the reason it's moved to the forefront of the tension so quickly in the games industry is the games industry is relatively young. It is. And you've noticed, you can see in the way the companies operate, the point at which the army of 
20 year old computer scientists running companies in the 90s yeah. matured into people who had families and did actually want to leave at five it's funny right? isn't it yeah. that we don't get there until the people at the top are going through that experience themselves yeah. and then if they're good enough they will pass that down to the next to the people coming up behind them yeah but there is also con- conversely sometimes the opinion that well you ha- I had to suffer to get here you should suffer too yes like um, you should have the same expectations put on you that I did yeah which is BS obviously is. yeah make and the world a better place if you have the power <laughs> right and it also applies to I think uh, the content of games as well like it applies to, you know yeah. there's a tendency for certain forms of life experience to not show up until it is experienced by the person who yeah. is in charge Bonkers, a right? kind of, I guess it acts as a kind of conservative weight on what games can be about. Which is mad because games are an engine for empathy and an right. engine for understanding other people. And if you can't, if you can't put yourself in another person's position to make something, like why would you not try to do that? It, it baffles me. But perhaps because I have the non-typical experience, I'm constantly putting myself in the, in the position of. You yes, know, Johnny right. White Boy with the gun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, quite. Well, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go no, that's it. Yeah, Johnny White Boy with the gun. That's my punchline. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I mean, I have a conversation earlier, uh, which we'll also be able to listen to, uh, with the Disco Elysium team. And yeah. you know, the question for them was like, their game does star Jonathan Q. White Boy. And um, <laughs> uh, he doesn't have a gun because he's lost it. But that's just one of the first ways in which they start to critically unpick. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and but it's but I think that's the thing. That is a, a conscious decision for them. They sat down and figured out why they wanted to sell that story, and they have reasons for it. Which mm-hmm. is almost I feel like, and maybe this will get us around to talking about your space train game. Yeah. We should probably talk about. Um, uh, but I found that something that uh, sort of intentionality or something. But like you, you know, it's the there is an absence sometimes of critical thinking about what, who gets foregrounded in the game or what stories specifically get told. Yeah. You, you know, Failbetter makes games that should tell a wide variety of stories, if anything. Uh, yeah, a rich tapestry. A, like a quilt. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Um, what I would, like, I guess the way I would think about it, and I'm interested to see if you think about it the same way, is yeah. that um, Sun the Sea, for example, Fall in London, is, has always felt to me like a a short story compilation with a linking game to yeah. some extent. Is that how you would think about things? I don't know if that's a question. I'm trying yeah. to bolt the question mark onto that statement. I like that. I like the intonation. It, we got there. Um, I think the way that our games work um, is a process of discovery on the part of the player that is unknown to us. Once you're over the initial thing in Fallen London when you've broken out of New Newgate Prison, you can go and do whatever. And we know you're in the early game, so you get, but you get these little pockets of story where we know that you are going to go, you, you're, you're currently looking into your lodgings, or we know that you're currently looking to become a poet in the, in the Bell Garden pubs. Mm. Um, but we don't know what you've just done. Like, there is no linearity to them at all. Um, the, the tapestry is, is, it sort of belongs to the player. Yeah. So we're able to do things where we put in, you know, trans characters or um, loads of fem- somebody was complaining recently we have loads of female characters in positions of power in Fallen London who was complaining about sorry, that somebody on Reddit it's yeah. always Reddit isn't it it is always Reddit well they were sorry they weren't complaining they might listen to this they were, have, they were trying to start a critical discourse about right. whether the one thing that they couldn't stand the one thing that broke their immersion was the fact that there were so many women in positions of power it was a question of it was like proportion. why yeah proportionately yeah. yeah we had a whole thread on, on the Steam forums about why in Sunless Skies most of the NPCs were black. Well, they, they just, those are the ones we launched with, and we have a bunch of 
characters of all different shapes, sizes and types. It just so happens that the six or so in, in the early version of the game were black. So, so I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of trying to string a point together here on a, on a with some beads on a string. What am I saying? I'm saying that um, we are able to include all different types of stories. We hire different freelance writers to bring in different voices. We consult with uh, people to make sure we have historical um, context and intentional writing right? mm. so it's a yes. business it's, it's the business of craft and getting better at your craft means being able to do being able to write anything and we do often have these debates about well can I really write that because that's not my lived experience well you, if, if people don't write their lived experiences then we really would be in a pickle in terms of diverse games content yes right yes yeah. um, so we consulted actually recently with some people called Clearly Represent Me who um, really helped us with uh, writing in trans and non-binary characters into Summer Skies right. um, and we in fact hired one of their consultants to be a writer on Summer Skies because she was she had the most incredible ideas that we could not we could not derive them we couldn't get to the amazing ideas that she was having because her lived experience was so different to ours yeah. we, we, got, we, we have trans characters in our games anyway but they were not fully I guess fully fleshed out in that way um, to the point where a lot of players don't even notice that they're there yeah which is the really interesting phenomenon of people who are most likely to complain about it and think that they shouldn't, you know, it's SJW yeah. bullshit, are also the people who, who would notice. not would not never catch a yeah. trans character written, you know, or a non-binary character, someone who presents uh, as, as femme but has perhaps masculine pronouns. They won't notice until someone points it out and then it becomes a big deal. Yeah. For, the, for the people who it's a big deal for, the people who want that representation and need it, they yeah. notice it immediately and it means so much to them. Right. So in a way, Failbetter kind of gets through... <clears throat> we get through without a lot of um, heat from people like Pataka in action. Although we were on there this week, so you never but, know, that's yeah. lies. I'm just lying. <laughs> well, yes, but I, I can tell what you're saying, though, right? Which is that you're working in a, a sophisticated and granular way yeah. towards these aims. Um, like, I, I was trying to avoid using the word... like obviously the whole language used to describe these efforts to improve games basically which is fundamentally what they are maybe carefully chosen but you've sort of just gone out and done it do the work yes you do the work and yeah. I think that's the key and I think a lot of larger I think it's inter- I'm interested in maybe this is interesting subject to discuss like I'm interested in the way that um, writers rooms form and are formed at different levels of the games industry and at mm. different studios and mm. obviously uh, Failbetter has undergone changes from project to project, etc. And sort of, uh, it sounds like put a lot of thought into who is in that room, yeah. where it happens. Don't start me in Hamilton. Oh, no, okay, I'm not going to. Card, we won't get any anywhere near back to video games. Um, yes, we are under the narrative directorship of Chris Gardner at the moment, who has been with us a long time. Hmm. He is um, an astonishingly talented person. He finds it very difficult to big himself up, but he is... He's not here, so you can do Not here. Him. Exactly, that's my job. That's all I do is big up people who are, who are too British to talk nicely about themselves. But he is very, very sensitive and humane and thoughtful, and he doesn't do anything... Um, the, the thing that, that, that we often come up against the thinking games is just people who are oblivious yep. they've come up playing a certain type of thing they get an idea then of the shape of games being this is what yep. games can be 
Um, but Chris brings in uh, he brings in people to consult with us. We've, we've changed our hiring policies entirely recently. Um, so next time we hire, we, we've got a new way to reach more people from a wider pool. Like we take it so seriously, um, and and then the, it, it's everything is about the setting of the intention at the top, and the the way the people at the top act. Is it translates to how people do their everyday work? And it translates mm. into the games. It's yeah. in the fabric of the games. It's not in. It's not active in the way. It's not active. I think, but in every word you write, it comes through. Yes. How much do you seek out um, people outside of the games industry or games community? And as a fluid definition, yeah. but it struck me again about some of the things I've seen here at Rest this weekend. Is um, it's almost it's always super refreshing whenever you get somebody come in from the outside, take a look at games, and go like, "Well, this is obviously rubbish." Yeah, and it feels like there's a lot of you, you talk, about, and I think you're absolutely right that there are, there's there are, there's a certain type of game player that has grown up playing a certain way and doesn't want that challenge. But I think also the industry as a whole is sometimes just it's that. I was about to say it was turtles all the way down, but like we're just we're a big circle facing inwards a yes. lot of the time. Yeah, it's a much better way to put it than once. And we look across at the other people and see what they're doing, and, and if it's the same as what we're doing, then we think it might be okay. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I, I personally, am always a bit of an outsider mm. because um, in every other industry I've ever worked in, I was always the kind of nerd one that they would kick nerdy stuff to. I did right. book launches for sci-fi books because nobody else had ever read any sci-fi that kind of thing and I was seen as other and weird for having those interests and within games though I have always played games since I was a child I am not your typical game playing person and I actually am not very good at games and it takes a very special game for me to like it enough that I would play even half of it like, right. and I don't have much time to have a kid etc so the, I feel still an, uh, the usefulness of me and part of my discipline as a comms person is to question these things and to bring mm. in the outside world and we do things like sensitivity readings and consultations and, and writers workshops and internships incubations and we bring people in yeah. Um, but it's sort of my job to, to, to notice when we need to do that. Yeah. Which you don't think of as something that a marketer does, but communications is a huge range of stuff, which begins at the very inception of the game. It just occurred to me to ask, because it, like, I think when we, when we were talking earlier, not to, you know, to inside baseball, but like, you know, when it comes to talking about, like, let's sit down and record a chat, which is what we're doing right now, obviously. There's an implication that that means so 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 go grab a designer, so go grab a, an artist, a programmer, you know, yeah. someone who's but actually the making and creating and showing off and finding of audiences for games is a, a more multidisciplinary product than that. I guess what I'm saying is comms is one of those invisible layers that is yeah. common to almost all game production, short of uh, Alan Hazelton making games by himself and putting them up. But there yes, are a few you're right. People who are able to do who are able somehow to make and promote their own games at the same time yeah. and it takes a special kind of it just takes a certain personality um, uh, I'm going to call out Tony who's making Dead End Job yeah. who is insanely good at self promotion yeah. and game promotion and making the game and he's at every event he has an active Twitter he knows exactly what works um, uh, Jake and Helen who made um, Shadowhand yeah are very very good at self branding self promotion and they always have it in mind they made me wear a big hat big hat yeah. yeah everywhere that you go they've always got the tri-corner hats on um, if, if nobody's seen them in person they're always wearing fab fabulous clothes to identify themselves and it's it's a very 
it's a really really special thing if you're able to do both um, and then uh, say to, after your game launch to reflect and to put out blogs and to think about yeah. the, the whole nose to tail experience of making and releasing a game uh, the Crate and Crowbar's own Tom Francis is a good example of this former game journal yeah. who's very good at speaking about his own game basically, and all games because that's kind of the job I guess I wanted to talk about him particularly in your context because you know you are right that yeah I, I suspect we might think that comms is purely purely for marketers the measure of success is units sold on Steam and obviously that's going to be a factor yeah. but actually it strikes me that particularly I think we feel better because you are finding an audience a, a broader and more diverse audience for games because you are making games for a broader range of people Definitely. the reason we've just spoken yeah. that you also I think have a role in actually kind of getting that across to people this seems like one of the most challenging things across the entire games industry is expressing when you're trying to make that effort to do better more diverse more interesting things mm. is to say this is a safe environment and to communicate that welcome yeah, yes welcome. exactly the, the funny thing for us is that we started with a browser game right like in 2009 and on a browser the browser is the most democratic platform yes for a game anybody can open a browser so we had a 50-50 back then we were we only had an idea of 50-50 male female split a lot of our players are trans or non-binary so you know there isn't a two way split but um, we know that the majority of our players now the vast majority of our players are male Steam users yes so huh, that's interesting yeah it, it's, it's gone that way but initially we were we were a studio founded on and being fueled by a browser game that made enough money to basically keep the lights on with some client work, and it, it was it was much easier to find new players that way, yeah. and then to kind of bring them in to Sunday Sea. But the idea of someone who doesn't play games coming on and having like the hardware and and the yeah. somewhere to sit in their house in front of a PC. I don't have that. Yeah. I don't have a desk. I don't have a PC I can play at, at home. Um, or a console like we we forget because we're a circle facing inward that owning these pieces of kit is not a given yeah. and uh, mobiles obviously are a big deal for um, for uh, getting games into people's hands but mobile gaming has become such a um, shiny bells and um, loops and yeah it's kind of box kind of yeah thing. It's, it's not somewhere that I mean we've recently had to shut down the Fallen London app that we put out because Fallen London was not a mobile friendly proposition in the end yeah it is it's a browser friendly proposition and we're currently reworking it for um, like mobile responsive browser play right. instead yeah. but as an app it didn't have any bells it didn't do the stuff that people feel that they want from that kind of game um Obviously, there are exceptions, but that's like if you're talking about bringing in people who would not usually play a PC game yeah. into gaming, it is extraordinarily difficult to find those people and sell to them. Yeah. And I don't know how to convert someone who doesn't play PC games into a Steam user. Yeah. Just to play my game. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you get that guy over the, that person over the threshold? But let me yes. tell you what Steam is. Well, it's a store owned by a games development company, so it's kind of proprietary in a funny way. And, and they're like, I don't even know. Is it Argos? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then, and then it's the, and then when you've got this, and you signed up for the account. You then have to go and find our things. Yeah. And please don't be alarmed or put off or frightened by anything you might see. <laughs> by on the anyone journey. else's <laughs> comments or whatever about that thing. Yeah. Because I know you're going to like it. I feel like we may be dangerous to close saying there's no solution to that, but no, I think there is. I think there is. I think um, that there's such a thing as overnight success that takes ten years, and there's such a thing as. Um, uh, 
word of mouth with meaning. Like people talk about word of mouth success. You have the, the there is broadcast word of mouth where one person says something to a lot of people and some of them might pick it up, but the connections there are very loose. Yeah. But if you sincerely love an indie game particularly and you sincerely recommend it to someone else who you know would like it, even if they're not mm. a game player, that kind of hand-to-hand recommendation is the most powerful thing. Because games are this communication medium, and you yeah. know you feel a certain way about it, and you have a friend and you want them to feel that way. That's bloody meaningful stuff. It's meaningful as hell. Like, yeah. What more could you do to give a friend an experience like that? And that's what at the nugget at the centre of, kind of my work at Com- and comms is is how to get people to feel a way and tell someone else who they know that they enjoy it. Yeah, and give people the, the means or the yeah, vocabulary the the tools, to do so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I was interested in... So, slightly related, slightly not. Getting Talking about a game, continuing to talk about a game, um, getting games to the right people when you are also openly testing and building that game in front yeah. of people. That seems difficult. Yeah, but happily, people who are really game literate are help, are happy to get involved yeah. with early access games. Although it's very much changed since the days of Summer C. Yeah, I've been interested how that was different. Actually. We sold much better in early access for Summer C. I think back in sort of 2014. Oh God, it was that long ago. But early access was still kind of a new proposition. It was, yeah, yeah. And people were having a go on early access games because they hadn't really seen games in development before, and they wanted to like. Oh, it's not done yet. I might right. see something yeah. cool that is, you know, interesting. And then, you know, people over time have collectively realised that it's perhaps a bit boring. Yeah. And the game isn't finished. And it's not all there. And <laughs> yeah, it's it not all work. there. Especially, and I think, I think we we have in some sense been burned by that because we were we were planning that it would bring in more revenue than it has. Yeah. But I have got this sort of feeling in the back of my mind that there are a lot of people waiting for these stories to be finished. Mm. And we're going, and that they know from Sun the Sea, perhaps they played it and they played it when it wasn't done or they bounced off it. And now that this is a better game experience that isn't finished, they know it, they have to wait. Yeah, I wonder to what extent as well that there's like a... uh, just some extremely loud walking. <laughs> <laughs> just some very loud walking in this room. No, um, I was just in this because um, I think I probably would fall into the category of people who like uh, snaffled up some of the sea as soon as it was available and haven't touched it. Now I'm confessing to you live Please. that I haven't touched some of the skies because I'd like to wait till it was ready. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is partly also novelty. I think I think I've seen this a lot with people's sort of second. Not this is not your second game, it's your third, but it's like second Steam game. Yeah. Is the first time it's like fall in London but with a moving boat when can I see that immediately yeah. and whereas this is Sun the Skies but with a flying train yeah not that that's reductive but you get what I'm saying right like yeah. now it's more of a known quantity yeah. there's less of a rush to get in there straight away Sun the Sea was like a revolution yeah we went from a text essentially like a visual novel choose your adventure thing to a game that was yeah. like seismic and we were, we were building it in front of us like what is this going to be how is it going to work how could fall in London move and now it's like well, we've taken off all the hard edges that we had. You know, you couldn't resize the text in some of the when it was new. So yeah, we were trying I remember. To play on so we've got text resizing, we've got UI resizing, control support, accessibility options, like parallax. It's it's like another dimension. This is Mordor, if you think of Ford and London as the Shire. Right. This is like... And you went through this a lot of Rohan? Yeah, we've been through <laughs> the, the gap and we've come out the other side and we're throwing just jewellery into a massive pit. 
<laughs> I don't know. No, it's, it's an amazing like, analogy it's a, for game development. I, it's not a culmination for the series. I think we'll probably we'll still do stuff in the Fallen London universe, but we um, we're really pulling out all the stops because we made a game and then therefore we learned how to make a PC game because we'd never done that. Yeah, quite. Despite being a long-running successful studio, we'd never had to make a real game game. Um, yeah, so now I think we're better at that. And it will be a better game experience. It will be more respectful of your time. Mm. People would die and lose so much progress that yeah. they just never came back. Yes, and I always had a very complicated relationship with the kind of storytelling you were doing as well. Like, that was, you know, there's, a, there's something strange about the effect that repetition has on blocks of beautifully written narrative yeah. when I just need cups of tea yeah and you had to do the early game content so often because you died so much but now you're not returning to a port you're going out into space yeah. you're going on and on and on to different hub ports at which point the game will save and your map will save so you don't when you die you go back to the last large hub that yes. you were at and everything will shuffle uh, that you uh, had just done so there's a lot less of uh, returning home desperate waiting for that music mm. to play and there's a lot more like um, I have to go forward I have no idea what I'm going to find right. I have no idea if what I need is there which is a different kind of stress yes <laughs> just exploring different kinds of stress yeah, basically <laughs> um, yeah that's I think that's an interesting uh, sort of way of thinking about not solving a problem necessarily but like approaching something people didn't enjoy as much about previous games is to yeah. not just think about how do we get rid of the negative feeling but from a game design point of view, how do you actually turn that into a different sort of... A different experience. Yeah, a positive yeah. experience. And, and also being okay with the fact that it's not um, Sunless Sea plus, it's not everything from Sunless Sea plus space trains. This, this is the fantastic opportunity you have with a sequel in games that in film, say, you can't... Yeah. Because in games, you get so much specific critical feedback on on things that you could then iterate on and improve but in a, if you wanted to do a film sequel you often can't like capture the same joyfulness again yeah. or like look at Zoolander 2 don't Indeed. look at Zoolander 2 I did recently watch Zoolander 2 oh. with Pip oh. we can have this conversation then Jesus wept it's appalling isn't it I could not believe they took the same grab bag of funny business and turned it into what a dog's breakfast That's I was furious I got up and walked around the house eating stuff like that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> recording. Absolutely could not believe that they whiffed it so badly. It's incredible. Like, there's almost something, like, like almost, um, if it was in a story that this had happened, yeah. if there was a framing narrative around Zoolander 2, which was about how hard it is to make a sequel yeah. to Zoolander, it would actually be brilliant. Yeah. It would be like a kind of Ed Wood sort of thing. Oh, could they have done more wrong? I was, I was embarrassed for everybody who was in it. I, Anna Wintour was in it. She the was woman from Vogue was in, in it. it. I know. And... Phoning it in, even in the context of a single line. Oh God, it's, an, it's, it's an, painful. But what? what so this the <laughs> point is that they were like, oh, what's really fun? Oh, a silly sequence where they go out and get um, cappuccinos and then have a, a um, petrol fight in a petrol station and the whole car blows up in Zoolander yeah, One. Yes. They tried to do that same thing again with, with like chocolate cream. sundaes yeah. and then he flips his car, and it was just so tone deaf and completely wrong. Bringing it back to the games. You know what people have played. You you get you get thousands and thousands and thousands of reviews and comments and feedback, and you know how people. And you know if you have stats in your game, then you get specific stats. So then you can you get the opportunity to iterate. You can try doing something similar, yeah, yeah. and then make it better through iteration and through community collaboration. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so it's gotten busier in here, so forgive us on the record. Um, 
I, that, that's interesting because I would definitely say that there was a uh, a fail better style, even though you bring in a lot of different writers yeah. and you you know the, uh, it's on the scene and um, and Sky's presumably as well uh, parcel out uh, stories. I was about to say content and then I sort of internally slapped myself. Yeah, I hate content. Me too. No one likes yeah. it. No one likes it. We all do it. It's like uh, capitalism. I don't know. Um, the, the, in a way that um, in a way that can give. You know, a writer ownership over an area, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. However, there is certainly a, a tone. There's a, there's a tone and a style and a kind of type of story. Uh, not that it necessarily, I don't think it's ever failed in that regard. I don't think it's ever reached sort of self parody necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I sort of go into a game of yours feeling like I kind of know what type of characters I'm going to meet. Yeah. And that feels like the best moments are when I, that, is, that is undermined rather than simply. Uh, catered to yeah, if that makes sense. it's not that catered to is easy but you have to do a certain percentage of this is what people will expect yes. in order to have a percentage of yeah that proportion is really interesting to try to figure out really. and we have an editor helpfully Olivia Wood who is a BAFTA breakthrough Brit which is very exciting or um, triple B and I love her and she's very scary but she's fun. she's fabulous um, she uh, has been playing Born in London since it came out she was a fan so her likeness is in some sea as the cadre air but right. now she works for us um, huh. and she uh, she has an overview on everything so she pulls together all these different ports and we, we look mm. at it as a whole piece but it's in her brain that it kind of coalesces into does this is this right and it's done by feel and that's the kind of beauty and also the shame of it is because it's not something you can really teach Yeah, she knows the world uh, but she used to edit fiction, so she used to edit big old fantasy books and, and world yeah. building and stuff is her forte. That is a really interesting. Maybe going back to the point of like, how do you form your writers' room? I've heard said, and I kind of agree in a lot of the cases that one of the issues that game writers can sometimes have is that uh, a new generation of writers is often made up of fans of the previous thing. Yeah. So you start with something that might be usually inspired by 1980s comics or action yeah, films. Funny, yeah. funny that. Um, and then, but eventually, you end up with um, fans of the photocopy of the photocopy, and you end. You know, and that's not universally true. And that process doesn't not usually universally produce bad results. Yeah. And actually, I think remarkably, there's an overlap between fan, fandom being a way for marginalised writers to find a way into the system, producing good results, and sort of fanhood being a way for the system system to perpetuate itself, producing bad results. Yeah. So there are two kind of analogous processes there that I don't want to confuse with each other. But it's interesting to me that, like Olivia, for example, is a good example. Yes, comes in as a fan and a critical fan who's able to look over the thing. Yeah. But also fundamentally had professional expertise in exactly the thing you required her to do. Fantastic, really. You yeah. couldn't write a character better than Olivia to be our <laughs> editor. But yeah, yeah. And it, it, the diversity of. Um, Diversity of interest is also something we fall down on in games, I think. Yeah. Because uh, there's, a, there's a kind of homogeneity of like, comics, TV, and certain things, but not many people who are particularly interested in horticulture or musical theatre or whatever. Right. Like, so the more... Like, I mentioned horticulture because our former game director, Liam, loves bees and mice and animals and woodland mm-hmm. and folk yeah, music. Very much living that environment. So. Right, so... Uh, and I really love musical theatre and yes. nail varnish and just all sorts of silly business. And I'm, I'm, and I'm a parent and I'm all these other things. And we we need to foster relationships and interests outside of the uh, world of games in yeah. order to make better ones. Yes, I absolutely agree. And also, I don't want to be reductive, but I do wish there were more game musicals. Great. You played um, Dominic Pamplemousse. Yeah. No, it's the only, one of the only ones I can think of. Uh, uh, 
point and click adventure, which is also a sort of Brechtian musical. Brilliant. You should play that. You should, uh, Sexy Brutal. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of taken from the idea of interactive theatre. Yes. And um, Steve No More um, and The Drown Man in London, the uh, punch drunk, right? So yeah. the, that, I've never played another game like that. And that specifically came from their own personal experience of, play, of doing something that wasn't playing more games. Indeed. It's good enough to end on. Hang on, it's the game's equivalent of mad cow disease. Indeed. <laughs> cows uh, eating cows. Oh, oh yeah, yes, exactly. Be eating the same cow. Yeah. yeah. It makes you, your brain. Yeah, exactly. It's just get too many of the cows. Yeah. Oh, it's, no, it's, that was the worst the... ending. No, we had a good one and I yeah. ruined it. No, you didn't. I ruined it. <laughs> Let's fight about that. No, so actually, weirdly, that's not just the ending of maybe this recording. That's actually, I think, I think Rez just ended. Rez is over. Um, I'm going to go give a free t-shirt to somebody. Excellent. Um, I might go home and go to sleep. Good, Thank you good for joining me. Thank you for chat. having me. Of course. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, that's the last, as I said, of our Rezzed chats. You can also, of course, uh, find our, the podcast we recorded at Rezzed uh, via our feed or on creatingcrobot.com as well, where we talk about some of the same games that I've talked to creators of in this series and everything else we've been playing and Crusader Kings 2 for some reason and questions from the audience. It's a lot of fun. Hope you like it. Um, as is the last one of these that I've done for now, I'd really like uh, feedback on whether this is something you uh, would like Crate and Crowbar to do a bit more of. I know we've talked in the past about getting more guests on, that kind of thing. Uh, this is, I think, a, a fun uh, format. I'm not saying that we invented the interview by any means, but it's certainly uh, different for us to be doing these kind of one-on-one conversations with developers. If it's something you'd like us to seek out and do more of, then we can absolutely do that. And that's something that um, the Patreon particularly allows us to pursue. So once again, thank you to our Patreon backers and details for that can be found at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. And for everything else, you can find it at crate and crowbar.com or on Twitter at crate and crowbar. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.